Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hi, this is David Temple, host of The Thriller Zone, and on today's podcast, P.J. Vernon joins us, author of Bathhouse, a riveting, steamy thriller that I went through in days, and you'll do the same. S.A. Cosby calls it a crafted thriller that is dark, gripping, and addictive. C.J. Tudor, author of The Burning Girls, what a ride, taught as piano wire prose, propulsive and plotting. Quick note before we start the podcast, I want to say thank you to all my listeners who have tuned in all across the world. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Thank you for listening. We'd love it if you'd subscribe. And if you'd leave a five-star review wherever you listen, that would be much appreciated. Well, how about you and I join PJ Vernon as we get in the Thriller Zone? Hey! Hello! How are you? I'm so good. So excited to see you. Me, me too. I've been looking forward to this. I was gonna, I'm plugging in some headphones because I want to make sure. Thanks for having me on. I'm stoked. Oh, I dished it out for you. I, one of my favorite callers, I thought, how could I not? I, wanted, <laughs> I love it. Wanted to match your book cover. I love it. And I got to say, too, um, I loved when I when I saw on Twitter this morning the um, promo asset that you made. I noticed Calgary in the background. Um, and that was I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never no one's ever done that before or pointed it out. And it was just kind of a special uh, thing to see. So thank you for that. Absolutely. You know, I just like to spice things up and keep it a little bit different. Uh, and, and I also read this morning that uh, about your voiceover stuff, and I have an author friend who I found out recently um, also did voiceovers, and it was just a cool. I, I love hearing and learning about those sorts of things, and I'm like so fast. I'm like, send me clips, send me clips, you know, what you've done and stuff. So I read that, and I was like, ooh, I've got to tell her. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, God, probably is. I think it started in high school. My voice changed at a very young age, like at a strange age, like fifth grade. So I went from, you know, like this to this, and I was a freak of nature. So it ended up working for me. Yeah, I was going to see, I I sounded that same exact way in high school, but mine was um, deliberate because very quickly I was like, oh, people are mocking me based on how I sound. And this, this matters in high school or in middle school or whatever else. And, um, and so, yeah, I sounded very like, like, Hey, I'm Philip, you know, like I was very like deep baritone. And yeah. I don't know. I would probably cringe if I heard that. These days. You know, I gotta, I gotta come out of the gate with uh, from one Carolina boy to another. Hey, how y'all doing? Uh, you know, I, we're doing, I'm doing great. Um, all the all the the family back in uh, South Carolina and North Carolina um, are are all doing okay. Um, I get I catch a lot of uh, uh, stuff stuff on um, uh, up here in Canada when I say y'all, and I'm like, I'm like y'all. It's the perfect word. It is it it caps, It's entirely inclusive. It fits in so many places. And I was like, we don't have a monopoly on on a, on good words. So right, <clears throat> y'all use it too, please. Please do, y'all, will you? My wife uh, makes fun of me all the time because I'll still say it to this day, and I haven't been in the Carolinas for a long time. But I'm like, baby, it works. How y'all doing? I mean, what what do you want me to say? How are you doing? 
that's so overwrought and, yeah. and formal and yeah. off-putting, you know, but um, we're, you know, it's, it's, that's how we are down there. Sure. We're the opposite of all of those things. Yeah. What part of South Carolina, by the way? I was born in Florence, okay. uh, which I, I know you'll know, but for folks tuning in, it's claimed a tiny town, uh, half kind of near Charleston, halfway point on I-95 between New York and Miami, claimed to fame. It had a nuclear or an atomic bomb dropped on it um, in the 50s. So other than that, I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. I did not um, know that. It's true. So it's called the Mars Bluff Incident. Okay. And a, in the Cold War, um, one of those like flying fortresses was going somewhere and an, an, an unarmed atomic bomb, so just the explosive ordnance, fell through a, a bomb bay door in the sky and fell kind of uh, in a field near my college and the dynamite went off. Um, but, but again, that's the ceiling when it comes to, comes to flow. That's the, that's as good as it gets. Wow. It's a great town, but not a lot going on there. <laughs> uh, but, but Charleston, lovely little town, right? Absolutely. And uh, that's where I had to bring my husband, my Canadian husband, uh-huh. when I was introducing him to South Carolina. We started in Charleston, um, the Disneyland of of South Carolina, and slowly (laughs) brought him into the Gillian Flynn-esque sharp objects world (laughs) that was like lurking, you know, behind. It was it was so funny. He I had him eating chicken biscuits for a week. His he developed a fever. Um, it's like his body was rejecting all of the chicken biscuits I was pushing (laughs) pushing on him. I felt horrible. Probably because of the lard in the biscuits. It, you know, it, there's some science behind that, I think. Yeah. But if you, if you don't cook them with lard and you don't butter them nice and heavy, then what, why are you eating them? Why? No, yeah. no, there's no reason. Like, you know, you don't put butter on something. Like, don't go, go big or go home on butter. Go right. big or go home on lard. Like, if you're going to commit to something and sacrifice a little bit of your cardiovasculature because you only live once, like, do it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was born in Winston-Salem. And yeah, then grew up in Virginia, but uh, spent a lot of time in Charlotte, which is where my family is now. But uh, I do miss the Carolinas, don't you? The the simplicity and the down home atmosphere. Everybody's so nice and laid back. And there's a smell to it, too, I, like in a good way, like a different kind of smell. I mean, well, I'm sure there's all sorts of smells. Sure. <laughs> Um, but I, I know like when I, you know, fly, so I fly into Charlotte right. um, and have, have lots of love, love the city, have a lot of great uh, friends there as well. And I did a research fellowship in Winston-Salem um, at Wake Forest a long time ago. So that's a gorgeous area oh, yeah. um, as well. Um, but but yeah, I, to- I don't know. I was like, my mind was going back to Winston-Salem and I'm like, I totally lost. <laughs> I have ADHD too. So. Yeah. Um- <laughs> We're going to get to a bathhouse here in a second, but I want to keep uh, talking about you because um, I'm curious. uh, I don't think I've ever known anyone to go from the South to a place as, oh, it's not really remote. It's a pretty good sized city, uh, but from South Carolina to Calgary, what, what made this happen? I'm just curious. Yeah. I think like, um, like a lot of folks uh, who grow up in the South, um, who especially, you know, specifically, um, might not fit into a narrative that their community um, or, or aspects of their community rather, um, you know, aren't, aren't really, it's not their jam or, or there's not space, space for that. And so young, when I'm younger and figuring myself out and, you know, uh, it, it's high stakes being in a place where you can't be yourself. And yeah. so there's this idea um, that I had, I wanted to get the hell out of Dodge um, as, as soon as possible 
um, at that point. Um, I wanted to jump on 95 and head, you know, to, to other bigger cities where I had convinced myself, you know, things are different and, and they are certainly. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of uh, uh, relationship. Uh, because it's who, you, it's, who, it's who made you and the people there, you know, there's, there's just as many good people um, there as there is anywhere else and, and in different cool ways. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit more like something to appreciate and interrogate and not so much like a monster to flee, flee from as it was at one point when it felt so yeah. um, high stakes. So I'm, I'm assuming you have dual citizenship then, right? I do. Yeah, so to cool. get to your question, yeah. I, I, uh, I was an immunologist in a past life. So I got out of South Carolina and went to the University of Pittsburgh um, School of Medicine. That was the, the city I landed in. Um, and I worked on anti-tumor vaccines for a bit um, and was recruited um, to the Defense Department um, in Fort Sam Houston in Texas um, to work in combat casualty care. So like combat relevant um, diseases, inflammation, polytrauma, those sorts of things. And while I was there, there's lots of oil and gas going on in Texas, obviously. Sure. Uh, my, my husband, Barry, who is based in Canada, works in oil and gas. He was down there for work. And uh, I, we went on a date and it was the best date ever. Unfortunately, he went on a shift uh, two years two years in uh, Norway, uh-huh. um, you know, right after he was on his way. So we, we had a two-year transatlantic relationship and we had to make a tough call because, you know, that's not sustainable. We both had careers that we loved, um, but, you know, uh, th- this was the right call uh, to, to come here. So that's, he, I, I moved here for love and abandoned gainful employment. And it turned out great because it gave me space to take writing um, a little bit more seriously. I was going to say you went from, uh, I mean, uh, you're a brainiac and a talent. So that's like a double fecta. Well, and a clumsy mess. So making you a trifecta then. There you go. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious because we're both dog lovers. What, uh, what kind of dogs do you have? I have the best dogs. I mean, not the all dogs are the best dogs. For me, they're the best dogs. They, I've got Chauncey. He's an English bulldog um, that I bought when he was, you know, just a little puppy. So he's super, you know, I was single. He's super needy. I cultivated him to be that way. Um, and then when we uh, were up here, we threw a local shelter um, in town, Arks. Um, we uh, rescued Miko, who is half husky. Um, half German shepherd from the far, like looks like Balto, um, you know, oh. is from the far Northern Alberta. So he's always like, you know, ready to help out or like, you know, deliver diabetes medication across the mountain pass, you know, uh, but he, so we love him. He's gorgeous. He, he has a dark past. And so oh. he's a little fear aggressive. So, you know, stuff, we've all got baggage and stuff we're dealing with. Um, and so he's in, he's in doggy therapy, um, but, <laughs> but doing great. Um, and, and, you know, thriving. So they, they make everything. And we've got their portraits over our, over our nightstands. Of of course you do. (laughs) Oh my God. There's Dexter. Oh, so cute. Speaking of, he's 11 at Christmas. That's Chauncey's age. And I'm telling you something. He's, uh, I took him to daycare today and he's just, uh, Everyone sees him and goes, oh, what is he, like two or three? I'm like, no, he'll be 11 at Christmas. I'm like, wow. I'm like, what's the secret? I'm like, uh, good food and lots of exercise, you know? <laughs> kind of like yeah. us. Yeah. What yeah, do you think ha- about it? Happy dog is a long-living dog, you know? I've got English bulldog. I, you know, was so nervous because of all the, the conversation around lifespan and stuff. And 
just 11 years old out of the vet uh, not all that long ago getting a tooth pulled and you know can jump a foot off the ground wow let's start uh, moving into writing when did you first know that you had this gift this ability to really have this craftsmanship at your fingertips um i think from a storytelling perspective so or a story perspective um you know i i had ideas and, and could think about you know uh stories and plots in entertaining ways um that became apparent you know pretty early on um just you know the usual stuff i'm sure you hear um you know the accusations of plagiarism that follow you through um high school and i remember each and every one of them <laughs> today uh but you know like just people couldn't believe that you'd write this or, you know, you get a creative writing um, assignment and you'd write a short story. And the, the teacher's saying like, Oh, this, this kid can write. Y'all go check, check out what he's writing. Um, or, you know, those, those sorts of things that you had this palpable reaction that you could tell weren't just um, someone in an adult or a mentorship or leadership position being nice to you. There was something kind of there. And of course, family and parents, you know, always sort of notice these things too. Um, but the storytelling part. So how, um, I could successfully tell the, the, you know, crazy stuff I was thinking up in my head. That didn't come until quite some time um, later. I, I, you know, transitioned out of science. And in, while I was in science, I kept being told I'd write clinical studies. And, you know, it was, it was, oh, you sound like some literature person writing about clinical studies. So get, get rid of that voice, get, you know, bang it out of your head. Um, and so it took a little bit of, of time and writing a lot of, or, you know, a, a few bad manuscripts um, to discover uh, what my narrative sort of refined my narrative voice. Um, and, you know, those first manuscripts were cringeworthy and objectively bad. I, I think writing is so totally subjective, but there are certain, you know, thresholds that you can reach. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until I just kept doing it and, and, you know, realizing, listening to people who know better than you um, when they, when they, you know, give you feedback on a story. Um, and it was a slow process. Uh, and I don't, it's still ongoing. So there wasn't really a moment, um, so to say, so to speak. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, you shot out of the gate with, uh, I mean, When You Find Me, your debut was both an Audible Plus number one listen and an Associated Press top 10 audiobook. I mean, that's no small feat. And share with Mike's, your, my audience that experience. How did that feel? It was fun. Um, because it was smaller, um, I had to do a lot of legwork on my own. So, um, you know, learning how to pitch media for, for a piece um, or, you know, I didn't have a publicist, um, uh, you know, use it. The book was a fabulous uh, gateway and entry point into this great world, this great community of crime fiction writers uh, and, and the friendship. So that all was very fun. I didn't experience like a uh, post-launch depression or down period. Right. Um, but years later i get i start my phone starts blowing up with google notifications um because i guess audible uh started a new audible subscription service right. um, kind of like a netflix and i guess the title was included um and so for whatever reason folks just started listening to it and it shot up and um yeah there's like thousands of of lists it's wild wow but that felt cool that was the second hit of excitement <laughs> So just help me understand, because I, I'm in a lot of different places, but I'm not on Audible. So is it like when you join Amazon and you have access to Prime Video so you can or like Kindle Unlimited, you can read all the books you want. So is Audible. You can listen to all the audiobooks you want. 
Yeah, but only as I understand it, um, certain titles. So okay. for I don't I'm not I don't believe Bathhouse, for example, you could go on and through the subscription service listen at will. Okay. Um, I think we're still trying to figure out, um, you know, what that um, model, which essentially works like you described, um, exactly how that'll how that'll look in terms of um, you know uh, the authors and and the titles and what all that means. So we're still waiting to because it's a new um uh program sure um but i know what you do i think <laughs> at this point but it's cool that that folks the, the, the book resonated with so many people yeah um who who did your audiobook by the way so uh the for when you find me it was bonnie turpin okay. and amy mcfadden both brilliant um, they br- breathe life into that story. It was the first time I heard what my character sounded like, which was incredible. Um, awesome. My launch day tradition now, because there's two, um, is to listen to my audiobook um, for the first time. I did the same thing with Bathhouse, which was narrated by uh, Michael Crouch and Daniel Henning. Um, and, you know, it it's the closest I'll ever get as a creator to experiencing and consuming the story. And it was absolutely, um, it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. You, know, you make, you make all these editorial decisions, you know, to, to pull heartstrings when you're, you know, late in the game. And I'm not even, I'm like, oh, there's going to be a snuff film and let's give him a name and a, and a, and a history and a past and, and we'll really make people upset. And then I'm, you know, listening to this and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Like right. what? Stop this, you know, and, and because their acting was so so powerful yeah um yeah highly recommend the audio uh because those guys are all all those folks incredible well it is it is a job a lot of people think it's oh you just sit in a booth like this one behind me you just sit in there and you just read the book but it is first of all it takes infinitely longer than you think it does second of all you really do have to create in just nuanced manners uh the difference between characters especially if you're a guy reading female voices um, and you're only wanted to keep one voice in the booth. I got a little feedback, not so kind, um, from my book, The Poser, where it's a revolving around a female detective. And they said, why would you have a guy's voice, first person talking about, you know, using it for a female detective? I'm just like, because I can. Yeah, it's it- <laughs> it's called range and yeah. and also this is all pretend yeah <laughs> this is these are fun entertaining stories yeah. um but but sure if if anyone wants to wants to cover the budget for a whole production of of folks but great thing is we don't think about that um because you listen to, to narrators like yourself like like the folks of these books and elsewhere and you're just blown away you know i'm i'm always like how in the world are they going to deliver this information that i needed printed words italicized to to express and then they do yeah and it's and it feels realer because it's like it's a human yeah talking and yeah. telling you this story yeah um it's it's profound and plus with adhd i i don't know what i would do if i didn't have my audiobooks going too <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's dive in because I, I tore through this freaking book, PJ. I mean, I just, I I don't. I had an idea what I was in for, but I and, and I and I don't read that much gay fiction. Matter of fact, truthfully, I've never read any. But I can say two things: a good story is a good story, no matter what perspective it covers. So, uh, gay or not, it, it didn't matter. Secondly, I learned. Uh, a lot 
uh, about uh, the gay universe and the things I never knew before, um, which was good. But here's the part I couldn't wait to tell you, PJ, because this is funny. I, I talk, uh, called my sister yesterday who is gay, and I sent her a photograph, the, the one that I have of me um, holding out in my backyard. And and uh, and I told her, I said, look, check this out. And I, then I FaceTime her, and she goes, oh, she goes, are, are you enjoying it? And I said, yeah, yeah, like, uh, really? She goes, huh. And I said, well, and I'm just being honest here. I said, you know, a couple of little places made me a little, uh, you know, kind of nervous. And she started laughing and laughing. And she goes, well, bless your heart, like we would say in the South, right? And we just had a great hoot about it because uh, she goes, well, you know, good for you. And I said, yeah, I've learned a few terms and I shared them. And she goes, oh, you know that now? I said, yes, I do. (laughs) it was great fun. Oh my gosh. Thank thank and I can't tell you how much it means to hear, you know, that this was a title that that was the first of these kinds of stories um that that you'd have to have to have, you know, that you'd pick up. Um and and not for any other reason but just because it it's, you know, not been on the shelves as much um because exactly like you said, you know, readers just love a good story and if if you deliver that, nothing else matters. Um, and you know, that was something that I, I know now, but was very trepid, you know, I had a lot of trepidation, right. um, about when this, when this process was, was getting going, but I have been so encouraged. And so, you know, we have so many, um, everyone has so many insecurities. I certainly have a great many. I remember sending the book to my, to my agent who, you know, and I, it's, it's my own baggage as a kid, you know, you, you, you look out for, I'm always like, Oh, there's a, there's a straight guy in the room. Is, is this going to am I safe? How, you know, you're just, you, I know it's not the fairest thing to do, but it's, it's, you know, uh, an instinct or an sure. reflex that I'm working on. And, you know, it was so my, my agent, Chris, he, he is like the, the straightest basketball loving, you know, uh, Italian Canadian guy from Toronto. And he's like, this is a great book. Like, you know, it's 20, I think at the time it was like, it's 2017 or 2018. We can have a gay thriller. And I was like, oh, he loves this book too. You know, it was the same. And, and you get that over people in places that you, you always bring your own assumptions and, oh, I'm going, I'm going back to the South where I really wanted to, where I was afraid. Um, and then you get into a book club with a bunch of Southern folks and, you know, they're just having a ball because they love the story. And it just is, reminds you over and over and over again, people are people everywhere you go in books, outside of books. Um, and and they, will, uh, they will always, most of the time, I guess most of the time, uh, you know, prove, prove you wrong when, when you're worried about something. Um, and there's nothing like it. Yeah. And this is how long I've been wanting to talk to you. I launched this podcast 20, let's see, you'll be episode 24. Uh, so 24 weeks ago with May Cobb. Love May. May Cobb, who couldn't be on camera with me at the time because she had just lost a, a very close friend. And so we had the show, but without that visual connection but we got into touch right after that and we we've stayed in touch all along and she's just a a delightful warm austinite and and i think i had read your blurb for her and then and so i started drilling down on you and i started reading more and more of your blurbs i'm like this guy can flat out write blurbs because you synopsized the visceral emotion of the story and so i started following you and then the more i followed you the more i became intrigued and then when i saw this book i'm like i gotta read this book but here's a lot of the way i'm trying to get this point pj i'm saying a whole bunch of words to get to this first of all I liked it second of all 
it's a straight ahead balls out thriller. How did you get me to turn those pages so fast? Because as a fellow writer, I want to know how you did it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, it feels a little, um, not like seedy, but it, it feels a little weird to say, but it's, it's gaslighting. You know, it's doing a lot of the same things um, that many of the characters are doing to each other. Um, of course, you know, for a way that everyone has agreed is okay. And they're, you know, more entertaining. And I certainly love to be manipulated as a reader. That's what we're, what we're in it for. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, selectively, um, you know, withholding um, information, um, you know, making sure, I, you know, every chapter, every scene ends at the moment of, of highest tension. So when, when the characters face the greatest number of possibi- possibilities and possible choices, um, and also the greatest um, fallout or, or reward, you know, adversely, um, depending on how they choose. Um, and I find for me, um, from a crafts like, uh, standpoint, I, it's very unnatural to want to end something abruptly because I think as storytellers, we both are constantly trying to tell a story and book into things. And we have an ear for arcs and, and how to draw things to a close and when to leave the party. Um, which of course is great for the whole overcompassing, you know, arc of a narrative. Um, but when it comes to writing a scene, one of the things that, that I, I did that helped me learn um, and develop an ear for beats um, was you write your chapter before you do anything else, delete the last line um, and then go back and take a look and see how it reads. Um, does it end on a, strong, a stronger note? Delete the last paragraph, you know, delete the last scene. Uh, and if you still need them, bump them over to the next uh, the next scene. And that way you're always sort of seeing, oh, this is the best place I should have ended um, this scene. And I didn't see it until I deleted, you know, went through that exercise. So that, that was really helpful. That's fascinating. Um, and I also got to say really quickly, though, yeah, yeah. May Cobb and her book, lo- lo- I, I, I don't even know what I said on Instagram. I'd have to go uh, go read it again. But that's the cool thing about having books like um, The Hunting Wives is, is, you know, you don't have to think about how much you love them or to come up with some sort of blur because it all, you know, that, that book is so riveting yes. <laughs> that it just comes right out. I've, I want to breathalyze everyone before they pick up kids <laughs> from daycare now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, that was unnerving except for the, except for the fact that I grew up around a good many people like that. And, uh, you know, cocktail hour didn't mean five thirty; It could mean 1230. And for some it was 1030, but, uh, Oh yeah. In yeah. the South. Yeah. You it's, it's, I remember hanging out with friends, older siblings who are just like, we're going to the Mexican restaurant. Do you guys need a drink in the car for the you know ride over? Um, and I'm like, it's 10 minutes down the road, but also I'm underage. So yes, I do. Um, but yeah, you, you, you I th- on the pontoon boat, I think I would just have a blast with May on a pontoon boat. Oh my god! That gosh. to happen one day. And you, yeah. you get it, you know. You're- <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I would be showing up with a roadie. We called them roadies. Yeah, red yeah. solo roadie. I would have a roadie on the way to May Cubs. Uh, we should do that. How much fun would that be? Yes, yes. And then come two o'clock, we'll all have to, to chug coffee and, and go get the kids. And- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know this is not an original thought. I felt like it was original when I was reading the book. I thought, look at me. I'm so brilliant. This is like Gone Girl, except more like, I don't know, Gone Boy. And then I read somewhere along the way that it was pitched as Gone Girl with Gays and Grinder. And I was like, okay, so it wasn't original. But I remember how reading Gone Girl took me by 
And my wife said this the other day. She said it took her by surprise to a point that she still to this day, and I don't remember when that came out. It's 10 plus years ago. Yeah. She said that, you know, I read it in two days. I I couldn't put it down. And then I'm like, "Uh, well, great. Then pick this little bad boy up and you'll be doing the same thing. Because I thought, PJ, and I'll be very careful how I say this. I thought I had it. Oh, yeah, I've got this. Yeah don't worry about that and then all of a sudden no and i didn't and that twist down the road i'm just gonna leave it at down the road was banging so thank you and and yeah please pass along my my i hope you love it yeah 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 (laughs) enjoy um and that's the highest praise i can think of because i gotta say like gillian flynn um i've said this before but you know that's one of the first voices um, in this genre um, that I, I read and it resonated so deeply and felt um, liberating because, you know, I saw the way that she portrayed monstrous characters. I mean, obviously the prose and language, it's so um, it's skin crawling um, the way that she's able to talk about things. Um, but, you know, it wasn't so much, let's get in the mind of like a serial killer or let's get in the mind. of It's like, let's get in the mind of your mother yes, um, and find out not only that that's just as, <laughs> you know, uh, dark um, with all those sorts of intrusive thoughts and possibilities, but also exceedingly more dangerous because no one can uh, can orchestrate your undoing better than someone who's so close to you, um, l- like the characters in, in those books. So um, it's a. I, I, I read those and I'm just like, I want to do something like that, but let's make it gay. And so, you know, I, I'm very thankful for all those great stories to be able to draw from. Yeah. Mission um, accomplished. And speaking of mothers, Nathan's mom. Whoa. Nathan and Oliver. Nathan's mom, who is uh, quite the uh, rich socialite boy. She, she was probably one of my favorite characters to read because you had, you had crafted her in such a way that you, I could practically smell her perfume and I could feel that look. I, I dated a socialite when I was living in Manhattan many years ago, and she and her mother had that same very lolly dull, I mean, just to the nth degree. And I was like, wow, do you know how obnoxious you are? But anyway, I loved that character. <laughs> I, I loved writing her. I am, I'm so fascinated by characters that for whatever reason we want to spend hours in a book or you know you've got like like Kathy Klein in that book or you know I think of like the Lucille Bluths or Karen Walkers or these you know in the funny range of things Um, and of course there's all sorts of characters in the serious range as well uh, you know like Kathy Um, but these are these are you know characters that are just fabulous and you're fixated on um, and obsess over you know from a pop culture standpoint if you were ever in a room with Karen Walker, you'd be, it'd be horrified. You, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd be horrified by, by Kathy Klein. But there's something hilarious and fun to creating those kinds of characters and those dagger sharp um, one liners. And, you know, they're really the, the cruelty and the, the charm and the way they, you know, rationalize it. And 
um, you know, the things that, they, that are important to them that are just so silly. Like, you know, you're talking about the way you conduct yourself. Sure. And, you know, my family has been here since the 1600s. Yeah. A monocle. <laughs> it's just funny to watch and fun to write. And it, and you're right. It was like there's a, the uh, velvet hammer, you know, there's, there's softness and cruelty all at the same time. And, and, it, and it's delivered in such a poignant way that you can't decide if you're you know, you're torn between being outraged and being drawn to the uh, a little bit of the sympathetic ear at the same time. So, yeah, well done. Bravo. Thank you. And, of course, it leads me to my next question, which I'm aching to find out. And I, and I know it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's when. TV or movie? Um, I, I, nothing to share. Nothing to share. Nothing you can share. Nothing you can share. Pleading the fifth. Okay. <laughs> Which could, yeah, I mean, it could incriminate. I could have committed a crime. You sure. Know, I'm pleading the fifth for all kinds of reasons. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, it's it's rife with possibility. It, it, I know it will. So there, I'm gonna. I, I will. I will say this though. In the same, we were talking about audiobooks. Yeah. Um. The you know the thing I love about them and about you know the talent that comes with those is all of a sudden you're experiencing a story through the lens of someone else's creative talent. Right. Um. And you know and they take their own spin on it and uh. it's not exactly the thing you thought of in your in your head, mm-hmm. um, which is the coolest thing ever. And when it any kind of adaptation in any sense, mm-hmm. um, you know it's like the worst. The last thing I'd want to ever see is like exactly a book I've imagined a billion times mm-hmm. uh, in my head, which is why it's such a cool opportunity for things like audio and and to to see folks um you know doing doing something new and fresh uh with your words so i can't wait to see it come out next year i wonder what what what, what network will pick it up i'll have to just ponder on that won't i pj i just saw this on your twitter feed this morning very exciting uh open flame is going to come out next year this is your next book because of supply chain issues and all that kind of stuff, it's looking like it might be early, you know, the, the following year, oh. um, which, which at the same time, you know, and I know you'll appreciate too, you're kind of like, phew, there's more time <laughs> to yeah. sort of, to, to not only just work on that and get it to be the best story I can possibly tell um, when, when I told it, but also to keep enjoying and, and thinking, you know, you're still very much immersed in the characters of Bathhouse and uh, trying not to, to take anything for granted, but it's a, it's different open flame. Um, it's still dark and, and voyeuristic and, and very, very queer in, in places. And, um, you know, it's, but it's different. And I hope uh, people will like that. It's uh, a couple of lawyers who fixate on the same family, seemingly perfect family, um, but for totally different reasons. Um, one of them is an alley binner. So she, she scavenges uh, refundables for, uh, for cash from recycling. Um, so you got a lot of access uh, there. The other is a neighbor. Um, so the woman who's bidding is fixated on the daughter of this family uh, who, you know, she's always behind their house. Um, too much so, some might say. Uh, and then the other character is you know, this gay man uh, who's married and next door and the perfect husband is always in these stages of undress in front of picture windows without blinds. And it's all, he's one, it's like, is this an exhibitionist invitation kind of a thing? And then when, when, you know, a a child goes missing, you've got two voyeurs who are like, how the hell did did someone go missing when we're both watching the whole time? Um, So it's, it's going to be fun. I'm working on it, working on edits right now. Um, And, and yeah, I hope people appreciate uh, the story. 
you, you had me at the there were three words that started the pitch and i was going to do the uh the uh sexy late night dj voice uh read for you but you've already done it so i'm going to leave that alone but this is what got my attention queer rear window which is friggin' brilliant rear window is Easily top 10 favorite movies of all time. But that opens up so many possibilities. And I saw that movie in my head instantly. And I'm like, oh, a different twist on that. So I was completely, I was instantly riveted. Thank, thank you. And it's riveted. I mean, me too, like in that whole vein, yeah. right? Like yeah. the idea that we, st- we go on walks at night. We look in people's windows. Sure. But, you know, we talk about doing unsympathetic things on the page. But really, it's just these characters are more honest than we are with each other, you know? Um, we always are, we're voyeuristic by nature as humans. Let's drill um, down that on that for a second. What I is it, PJ? To. Yeah. What is it about us? And golly day, it's so true. I'll be walking the dog late at night and I, I'm, I'm pulled to a window and I'm just, I wonder what's going on in there. Huh? What are they doing? <laughs> what is that all about? I think it's sort of a vestigial behavior, um, from our lesser evolved selves. So like what I mean by that is like, think of, so I pass McDonald's. I'm I, gotta a huge, look that I have a problem. <laughs> it's sort of a, uh, a, um, a leftover okay. behavior from when we were, uh, you know, hunter gatherers. So like, you know, I pass McDonald's and my body's like, you better go get a Big Mac right now. There's not going to be any food again for months, you know? And so we're fighting, you know, civil, against civilization, which says there's McDonald's everywhere. And my biology, which is like, eat this food right now. Um, and it's the same, I think it might be the same thing with the voyeurism and the gossip. Like, yes, we don't belong in people's bedrooms or therapy or whatever else. Um, and, and, you know, you and I would have a, a whole, so much fun gossiping right now about all, any number of things. Sure. And I think it's because back in the day, it, it was important to, to show, okay, if, if that snake is venomous and, you know, PJ's over there playing with the snake, it would behoove everyone else to stop and turn and watch me. Um, so when I get bit and die, you all know that's the wrong snake to play with or not. And, you know, that snake's great. We could eat it, you know, or, or, or whatever. So I, I think there's a survival advantage um, to being able to look or gossip or pass cautionary tales along. And of course, we've just taken it like everything. And- <laughs> turned into something else yeah and do you can you tell me uh just because i'm uh intrinsically curious where did this sea of an idea come from because that's so it's such a fresh and uh, seemingly original idea the for open flame yeah yeah a couple of different uh sources so number one was i was watching a documentary um, I don't know if you've seen it, casting John Benet. Yes. So for, for folks tuning in, the setup there is, you know, folks are filming a movie about the Jean Benet Ramsey case. They're interviewing all of these actors and community uh, members of the community under the auspices of they're going to be in this movie, but they're all giving their hot takes um, on, on what happened uh, all the way through. And the parents are completely um, excluded from the narrative. People who know what's going on are excluded from the narrative. Um, and so I just, I thought that was a fascinating thing. So I love the idea of having um, a, a tragedy like that, but we don't actually, you know, we're not in the parents' points of view necessarily. We're in these voyeurs in the community's points of view um, and what they have at stake and how they're involved as secrets, you know, uh, come to light. Um, so, so that was a huge one. Um, I was really struck when I moved up to Canada 
um, uh, the alley binning culture up here. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you, you walk around and, you know, it's like there, there are certain folks that travel by sidewalk and, and certain folks that travel by, by alley for a variety of different reasons. Um, and so, you know, that whole idea um, and, and talking to folks in the nonprofit space with, you know, what these days are like for folks um, and, and those kinds of things was, was really, really inspiring. And then, of course, so, you know, a long time ago uh, in, in, in a, a past place, we had a naked neighbor once. Yeah, you know, it's like one of those the blinds are always up and there's, you know, someone walking by. And I will say this, it is hell and, and it's hell because especially um, the more attractive you think this person is, because I'm just eating Arby's at like a breakfast table, like, you know, <laughs> spilling cheese all over myself. The last thing I want to see is, you know, muscles just rippling all over, you know. And so I was like, you know, there's blind, we threw up blinds and everything, but it's, it's just like, wow, that's inspiring. Yeah. There's something there. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that person that that is not accidentally left open. I mean, I, ho- I I think it was like a, I, I don't know. It's exhibitionism, I, baby. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. I, I try to get, as someone who's like a clumsy mess, I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt that yeah. maybe they just didn't think about it. But I mean, if you're good about your life, right? What's <laughs> the chances? So let's go back. So Open Flame will come out sometime, you said. Early, like summer 2023. Or it was sort of, a, um, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking about this, but it's okay. fine. Um, it's, it was sort of like an issue of, it's like, you know, end of summer, but it might be a rush job. Right. And it's like, let's give ourselves time to really make sure this is plus all the stuff is going on. So beginning of the next summer, um, might be, is, it was a good call for a lot of different reasons. Okay. And so to method, uh, to your method, do you, do you like to spend, uh, about a year with a book do you you know do you spend an equal amount of time in research as you do in first and second drafts as you do in the final drafts how, how does that work for you if you don't mind sharing your method i think the golden rule is just you know whatever it take whatever whatever you do right uh, to get you to type the end on on a shitty first draft that's mi- missing entire whole things or just has lines like placeholder get them to new york somehow um, you know, that's the right thing to do. Um, and I'm sure that evolves and changes. Um, but for me, I don't know if I um, am a, I don't know if at this point, if I'm a book a year uh, ki- kind of person, because it does take, I can write a draft quickly and uh-huh. feverishly, um, but it's under, it's underwritten. It, it'll read like a screenplay. And, you know, the characters are, are reacting very viscerally, but it's like, well, why? Or, you know, how do they feel about it? And I'm like, what does it matter? They're afraid. Um, but so that time, I spend most of my time um, unpacking uh, those feelings. And so my editing um, actually is, is a lot of new writing. Okay. Um, so Bathhouse was 70,000 words when, when it was acquired. And the book um, that's out now is about 90,000. Um, so yeah, you, you, so- you grew 20,000 words in, your, in between your rough draft and your ending. Yeah, I, one of my blind spots is, is, you know, sort of expect having folks work a little bit too hard. You know, I think I'm being clever. I think I'm being subtle. I think I'm, I've, you know, created this thing that'll come away with the perfect conclusion. And what you find out is like, no, you didn't. Um, you just, you were way too sparse. And, you know, all the stuff in your head is not on the page. Please share it yeah. uh, with the reader. So nine out of 10 of my 
um, issues are. The author knows it, it would be great um, if he would include it on the page. <laughs> I never knew they made pink book covers until until today, until I picked this one up. Isn't that beautiful? It and is. that's John, that John Fontana's book cover. So he designed that cover, which is a, is a work of art. That um, uh, pink binding they did special. He had messaged me uh, early on in the process just to share, you know, how, how much the book resonated with him. And that's what happens uh, when you've got an, a talented artist like him and, and there's the passion there and that's what comes out of it. Um, and just like audio, all that other stuff, yeah. that's what my book looks like. Yes. Um, because someone with vision, it meant something to them and they, and they applied their talents. And I never would have thought of that in a billion years. And I love it to death. And this is PJ. This is one of those things that I love talking about. And I've talked to so many great thriller writers uh, on the show recently. And we, we agree on this. Let the, it sounds perfectly obvious. Let the professionals do what they do best. It's going to cost a little bit more, but what's that axiom? You get what you pay for because you put this in the hands of somebody who really knows what the hell they're doing and you get something like this that is visceral and memorable to the nth degree. Uh, uh, absolutely. There, and, and on the flip side for folks who, you know, are, take the, the self-publishing um, path. So, you know, I, I forfeit a lot of royalties to have the talents like John Fontana creating that cover. Um, but for folks who are, who are self-publishing, it's like, this is entrepreneurial and a small business. I take a, take a hit because I don't have that skill set and, and other folks do. Um, but that cover, yeah, go out. If, if that's your path, Go find the best damn cover designer, um, you know, that, that's within uh, your, your scope of, of vision and, and abilities and, and do it and get it done because it's, it's a small business and, yeah. uh, and you've got you to pay for that overhead uh, and, and your work deserves it. Yeah. And as a self-published author myself, I know I, I have spent the $10 on a cover and uh, then I've spent the uh, $700 on a cover. And imagine this, the 700 looks so much better. Um, I don't know. That, that's yeah. That's a skill set. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, as we slowly start to wrap it up, I'm reading. This is this is just chock full of blurbs on the back, and you got some heavy hitters here. Uh, C.J. Tudor, I got to meet her at uh, Thriller Fest 2019. A massive talent. Uh, Kelly J. Ford of Cottonmouth. Um, Kelly's got a new book coming out. I'm trying to bang on her door now to see if I can get her on the show. Done. Done. She's my critique partner. Love the book. And it's undergone a little bit of a, of a title sharpening. And it is a good, good Southern Gothic, delicious, queer, dark book. By the way, and I haven't, I'm embarrassed to say I have not read Blacktop Wasteland yet by S.A. Cosby because I really want to. But uh, uh, he gave you a great blurb, too. What a monster talent. Oh my gosh. I like, so I, I was lucky enough to actually, I met Sean at Thriller Fest in 2019. Um, so we were both, both there. Wow. Uh, yeah, that I, was, I was, oh, go ahead. No, after you. I was going to say I, that cocktail party. Um, if you remember someone who showed up with like a white um, collared shirt and then immediately spilled wine on themselves, um, that was me. Oh, so, I, I don't know. I I did not see that. I'm sorry, but that was my first year, and I I loved that great event. Yeah, but that's where I met uh, met Sean, and, and very quickly it was. It's just you know, it's like you said, very quickly. You, quickly, you just know. You're like, this is someone who their heart is incredible. That I, you know, they're good people. Yeah. Um, and, and then on top of that, brilliantly talented. 
Um, I, he had actually just, I think Blacktop Wasteland had been officially acquired um, earlier that day. Bathhouse was on submission. And I, I remember him telling me about the process and visiting the, um, the publishing house. And, and it gave me so much encouragement because you're opening up rejection after rejection. And, you know, he was told so many times, and he'll talk about this, you know, that it's not the, I don't, I don't have the right kind of story that people want because it's, you know, in the rural South, instead of some inner city, um, all the sorts of things and, and boxes that people try to gatekeepers put us in and to hear t- someone like him with his story be like, guess what I just did uh, was so awesome. And again, once in a generation storyteller. Well, he has two that I want to read. And uh, yeah, if you have any inside scoop there, please uh, pass that along. Cause uh <laughs> He would be he would be a catch on this show, quite frankly. And I would and just uh, from all I've heard about him, a, a, a beautiful human being. Yeah, will will do. Will do. Absolutely. Well, as we begin to wrap it up, because I want to be respectful of your time, I do have a little thing. I have a series of rapid fire questions. Very, very painless. I'm, I'm only going to do three here. But um, you and Barry are invited over to Tammy in my house where we're going to serve a beautiful spread overlooking the ocean. You're going to love it here in San Diego. You've been asked to bring two extra guests along with the pooches to play with my Dexter. Who would they be? They could be dead or alive. They could be famous or not, but bring along two extra friends to this wonderful gala. And who would they be? Okay. So realistically I would, because of what we were just talking about, I'm like, well, let's have Kelly and Sean come. (laughs) because that'll be really fun awesome um and that'd be one hell of a dinner and we'd all be uh uh, quite tipsy and having a blast by the end of it um uh, so that would be the realistic one i've always i i would i I bring if i could bring hillary clinton i would bring um i would bring hillary because i feel like i i've wanted to have a beer you could have a beer with her and you just know yes you're just gonna have so much fun Yes. You know, uh, through all the media filter and everything. So so her certainly. Um, And then Sally Field, I think, would be another one. Yeah. I want her to be my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Like when we were getting a new pope, I wanted her to be the pope. I'm not even Catholic, but I was like, Sally Field, she needs to be the pope. That's hilarious. Uh, Number two, you are on a secluded vacation. You and Barry just hanging out. He's got his world taken care of. But for you... You can only take your 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 packing, and you can take two books with you, and two CDs. Hmm, I think um, I've been, you know, I've been rereading a lot of childhood favorites mm-hmm. uh, during this pandemic because my focus has been extraordinarily shot, and it takes me even longer uh, to 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 read and write even an email. Um, so I, I might bring those. So his dark materials um, is is something I find a lot of comfort in. Um, Philip Pullman. So there's the show on HBO now, which is, which is, is great, but those books um, and the idea of, of, you know, uh, science and progress and enlightenment and humanity for a force of good. And, and a lot of the typically cast uh, forces for evil and for good in society being exposed um, for a lot of the bad stuff that they do in a fantastical way. That's totally escapism. So I'd bring that one, or since this is thriller, I uh, just read um, by Kelly Garrett, her, her new one, uh, Like a Sister, um, which is out next year um, as well, because it's, it's a thriller. It's a mystery where one sister finds out her, her uh, uh, reality star, um, sort of celebrity sister uh, via Instagram has overdosed and things don't seem right. And so she's retracing all of the steps 
um, to find out what's happened to, to this, this human um, that everyone seems apathetic about and ready to write off. Um, and she's so funny and clever that it's like the first read, it's the compulsive mystery where you're just like trying to get the answers. Sure. But I'd like to sit in, in, in her, her prose and her, her scenes a little bit longer to appreciate the wit. Uh, and CDs, orchestral writing music, okay. and uh, Britney Spears' Blackout album. That was a great album, best album. I knew if I just kept talking, I'd get to it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Perfect. And it's funny you should mention humanity because my third and final question is, a magical genie appears at your front door there in uh, Calgary tomorrow and says they'll grant you one wish for yourself and one wish you can share with all of humanity. So two wishes, one for yourself one for humanity. What are those two wishes? The wish for myself would be to, to, to always know that whatever I've done um, is enough um, because it seems, and this just might be a human thing, but it feels like things seem like such lofty goals. And when you reach them because of how much time it takes to get there, um, you've lost some of the ability to perceive how cool um, that thing is, and it doesn't feel necessarily like you've done something as big or as hard as you've done, and that there's something else you should be doing then or working on. And so I would like to be able to appreciate what I've done when I do it for the work it took to do. Um, and then for, for everyone else, um, I, I feel like there's so much like tr- waste um, in the world and tragedy that like needless waste, needless death. And I feel like if people would just take a second to put themselves in someone else's shoes as a human, not a block or a community of people you're willing to write off, but put yourself in, you know, in the shoes of someone, you know, waiting outside of Kabul airport, put yourself in the shoes of someone, um, you know, who's, who's in the far North and can't get Wi-Fi or, or access to, um, to, to, to COVID vaccines in, in the same way we can like, Maybe you'll think a little bit differently if you just put yourself in someone else's shoes before you decide to uh, come to conclusions about them and, and their lives. You know, both of those answers, PJ, are as elegant and altruistic as I probably would have expected from you. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's- you know, none of this, I want a big car and I want to have, you know, all that stuff that you're like, when you finally get it, you're like, but man, your first one was so spot on because I was talking to, I think I was talking to Kent Kruger and we were talking about being in the moment and staying in the moment and realizing what it is you love and why you've chosen to write, for instance, and to tell stories. And to most poignantly, when we're in the thick of something, sometimes we're all caught up. And, I, and I've referenced this to someone recently when I when I had a morning radio show in New York City. You're at the top of the game and all of a sudden you're you're everything is so heady and moving so fast. And you're like, wow. And and I and I wish to this day and I did it pretty well, but I wish to this day that I would stopped every once in a while and said, yeah, this is what the top of the world feels like, and holy cow, and wow, and I and I would encourage people to do that more, and that's kind of what you just said too, is to really appreciate those moments and where you are, and to grab them because they're fleeting. And and as my wife and I were talking yesterday, you know, we, we all have an expiration date, and we we got to just grab this and enjoy it, and forget the petty bullshit that is all around us, and just you know, grab the magic moments. 
No, I, and what you what you just said about, you know, it's like when I hope, I want you to view and have that palpable feeling that I did when you just say, I had a radio show in New York. It's like, that is so, and I can see that from the outside as like, holy smokes. <laughs> you know that, But I know it's tough to see that. And it's, it's just, I hope everyone sees their accomplishments the way that we see yeah. accomplishments. Yeah, and, and being being present and in the moment is sounds so cliche, but God, it's so true, isn't it? It's so hard. Yeah. But this moment right here has been pretty spectacular and I've been a hundred percent with you. Thank you. It's yeah. been, this, this has been incredible. And it's been, it's been a really fun and like fulsome, like soul feeding conversation. Um, and it's just going to set the course for the rest of the day. In I a hope so. Way. So thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. And if you want to learn more about PJ, it's really easy. PJVernonBooks.com. And you can follow him uh, on Twitter at PJVernonBooks. You're a you're an incredible talent, Mister, and I am uh, I'm honored to have had you on the show. And I I think a lot of you, and I think your talent is boundless. So I'm I'm anticipating what's next. Thank you so much, David, and the pleasure was all mine. And I can't wait to either hang out with you first in San Diego when I show up at your door, or um, at Thriller Fest or about wherever we wherever we run into each other next. Um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be cool to to be able to to say hi and thank you for letting me hang out. This was a blast. Thanks again, PJ, for a really engaging time. Now, as we look to next week, my guest will be Chris Hottie, who's created a character I really like, Haley Chill. So, of course, when I heard he had a second book called Savage Road, I had to snag it. But something not everyone knows about Chris is that he's a screenplay writer whose work includes Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco, Never Back Down, 1, 2, and 3, and two sniper movies, Ghost Shooter and Ultimate Kill. Given I've also tried my hand at screenwriting with one script under my belt, I jumped at the chance to discuss his films. So next Friday, we'll discuss all that, plus Chris's third Haley Chill book, which is coming out next year. Please make plans to listen as we'll discuss all that thriller goodness on next week's The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.